In great jubilation, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, My dear Surabhadamara and Ramanurabhai, know for me that chanting the holy names is the most feasible means of salvation in this age of Kali. Chapter 20, verse 8. Chapter 20. 20. Chapter 20. So, Lila. 28. Sankirtan Yogya Kalo Krishna Aradhan, Sete Sumedapaya Krishna Charan. In this age of Kali, the process of worshipping Krishna is to perform a sacrifice by chanting the holy name of the Lord. One who does so is certainly very intelligent, and he attains shelter at the lotus feet of Krishna. And then um, in the age of Kali, intelligent persons performing congregational chanting to worship the incarnation of Godhead, it constantly sings the name of Krishna. Although his complexion is not blackish, he's Krishna himself. He's accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and companions. Simply by chanting the holy name of Lord Krishna, one can be freed from all these undesirable habits. This is the means of awakening of all good fortune and initiating the flow of waves of love for Krishna. And then we come to the first verse of the success to come. Success to come are eight verses that were directly composed by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then um, was Krishna, but this time in the mood of a devotee. He was teaching by example and deeply absorbed in, in a level of devotion which went beyond, uh, beyond the sense of duty. It went to the level of very deep, heartfelt spirituality. And we are now, uh, he composed eight verses. Um, those verses, the way he composed them, were a little scattered. They were a little bit here and there. And the first time we find them, we find them in a book of Rupa Goswami called the Pajavali. And Rupa Goswami, being the disciple of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, collected these verses, but they were scattered. They were not together as one unit. But Krishnadas Kaviras Goswami, the writer of Chaitanya Charitamrita, put these verses together in one unit. And since then, they have been treated like that. And there is a progression in these verses. It goes from uh, making an initial connection with uh, the spiritual life to becoming more purified, to uh, going deeper, 
and eventually to chanting in pure love. So let me begin with the first one. Chetu darpadam arjanam bhavamahalo ninilvapadam Sriyakairi chandrikavitarnam vidavadu jivanam Anandam burivardhanam pratipadam punam ritas adhanam Sarvatmasnapanam param vijayate sri krishna sankirtanam Let there be all victory for the chanting of the holy name of Lord Krishna, which cleanse, cleanses the mirror of the heart and stops the miseries of the blazing fire of material existence. That chanting is the waxing moon that spreads the white lotus of good fortune for all living entities. It is the life and soul of all education. The chanting of the holy name of Krishna expands the blissful ocean of transcendental life. It gives a cooling effect to everyone and enables one to taste full nectar at every step. In this, uh, in this presentation, I would rather approach these verses in a, in a meditative way than in an analytical way. I could do a very technical analysis on the verses, but I think if I do so, we'll be a little dry and uh, maybe interesting to some. But I think when we meditate uh, or approach the verse in a more meditative way, then um, we might maybe um, get more out of it in terms of uh, a spiritual, self-reflective exercise, I think. So, I like that better for today. Um, the first thing is that the heart is described like a mirror. And uh, that's an interesting point because a mirror is meant to reflect something. And that means that the heart is also meant to reflect other things. In other words, it's not that things are born within the heart, but the heart is responding to external impulses. That is the image of the mirror. And that is interesting. And that is actually the position of each living being. Because no living being exists independent. We never exist independent. There's no such thing. Uh, we are rather existing always in relationship to, and fill in the blanks, something or someone. And ultimately, uh, if we understand the, uh, uh, the Vedic paradigm, then we'll understand that everything is considered to be the energy of Krishna. Therefore, no matter how one is, no matter how one turns, no matter where we go, whatever we do, we're always in relationship with Krishna in anything that happens. Um, Prabhupada gave an example about his own life. Um, Prabhupada, he liked kachoris, which is a, uh, <clears throat> a little in salty Indian 
uh, pastry type of thing. And uh, he liked that. And uh, during the Second World War, his wife had just prepared his favorite dish and was just being served out. He just sat at the table, just munching into it when a bomb alarm went off. And uh, yeah, everyone was supposed to go into bomb shelters. So he did not go into the bomb shelter and just decided to finish his meal. <laughs> then he saw the bombs, actually. He saw the bombs falling and exploding and, and destroying things, and he had a good view of it. He, he said, that was also Krishna, but that was not the lovable form of Krishna. So that's interesting also, uh, that there is, everything is Krishna's energy, but then some of the energy is more lovable than other energy, in a sense. Um, the name Krishna means the all-attractive. Um, actually, there are two features to the name. Um, Krish means akarasan, that which can attract. Na means anand, which can give great happiness. So Krishna is sometimes described, the meaning is sometimes described as all-attractive. Other times, he is described as the one who can be attracted by his devotees. It's another meaning of Krishna. So both are there. Anyway, so uh, attraction, again, the heart is involved. Uh, it's very much, it's a personal thing. It's, it's very much the thing of the heart. One is attracted to one thing, others attracted to another thing. And it's just like, the heart dictates these things, whatever attracts us. Um, so here we see the mirror of the heart. Um, the mirror of the heart may reflect so many things of this world, and it is all Krishna's energy, whatever is reflected there, but when we are dealing with Krishna's energy and seeing that energy separate from his person, then relating to that energy cannot satisfy, can never fulfill. It can give us an experience of uh, excitement, an experience of adventure, uh, and give so many experiences, but it cannot give us fulfillment. And so one always remains restless, always searching for more. Then, in this image, there is a lot of dust on the mirror. There is a lot of dust on our mirror, and this is the dust of our material interaction. In other words, the Greek model is the impression, whatever makes the impression on the consciousness. So, there the consciousness is a ball of wax, and anything leaves a mark there. Um, the, uh, the, the, here the model is, is, is the dust, the dust of so many uh, material activities that we have performed, which then covers the consciousness. 
In other words, residues of our activities remain within the consciousness. These residues then are uh, beginning to, uh, they begin to govern our consciousness. The consciousness then begins to circle around these things. All these remembrances of enjoyment that give us maybe desire to try and experience it once again, or whatever we didn't get, and all the things, all these things are just there, and then that becomes our universe, that becomes our reality, and we just go from one thing to another, from our possessions to our desires, to our unfulfilled desires, to our frustrations, to our fears, and all the compartments are there, and simply all our thinking, feeling, and willing is circling these things in this way. That is the dust on the mirror. So it is said that the chanting of the mantra is then purifying the heart from all that dust. It cleanses the mirror from the dust accumulated for so many births. So it cleanses the consciousness from all these, these uh, one could, could uh, call it obsessions, one could say. Um, anything that stays with us is a form of obsession. And we become, we, we've developed attachment to something, and then it stays there. So we're psychologically driven by these things. And obviously, uh, so many of such things we can recognize within ourselves. Uh, and so we are very much controlled by, uh, by the previous experiences in our life. And we are not, uh, not free to just act um, from our pure self. Sometimes in psychology they speak how uh, the person wears a mask and takes off the mask, and then there's another mask, and then another one, and another one, and another. How many masks can one wear? Uh, layers and layers of masks each time. Now I've taken off my mask. But yes, but there's another one. Uh, take that one off, and still more to come. So in this way, our gradually, our true personality has been covered by a false personality and by layers of false personalities. This is called in Sanskrit ahankar and has been sometimes translated as false ego. Ahankar also means material attachment, material identification, where we draw an identity from external things. It determines who we are. And we begin to act accordingly. You know, I'm a bus driver, and I'm just part of the bus. It's like, and so on, and whatever else I am. Um, so the chanting will cleanse the mirror of the heart. Now, then the next metaphor is given. 
And that is the metaphor of a blazing forest fire. Oh, there's been a lot of forest fires in the news and uh, I was in Australia just at that time and when there were forest fires and usually I stay in the city and then someone said, this time we wanted you to rest upon your arrival and we arranged this nice house for you. And it was in a forest. <laughs> and the nearest forest fire was 80 kilometers away. And those things move fast. So I wasn't kind of, <laughs> I wasn't feeling too comfortable. Like, well, for God's sake, why don't you bring me here? <laughs> anyway, there I was. The Australian experience. Forest fires. So forest fires are exciting things. They are uh, incredibly overpowering. So as I was in that house, actually, I read up on forest fires. Yeah. <laughs> as you do nowadays, you know, you Google it, right? Where is the forest fire and so on? And how hot do they get, actually? <laughs> okay. I don't know in Fahrenheit because I, uh, you know, I don't know centigrade, but it was 1300. 1300 degrees centigrade. I mean, you just, at a great distance, you already burn, that's for sure. Yeah. So it was incredibly hot and, uh, and moving very, very fast. Uh, exciting. So a forest fire then is, is like a symbol of a, a very intense situation which is completely beyond human control. So here, when material life is compared to a blazing forest fire, it is just compared to a situation that we have no grip on. That we really, um, we're powerless. It just rages on at its own pace. And um, it sees the Vedic concept is that the uh, material world is not so much a place to enjoy. Um, Buddhism also has that, you know, because after all, it came from the same background, the same Vedic culture started there in India. Um, so in the Indian context, the material world is not seen as a playground, a place where you try and create as much fun as possible. I mean, that's the traditional Indian context. The modern Indian context is very much like uh, the world is a playground. Uh, Mumbai is party city. <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> New York is a place for having a good time, but that's not the first the first objective in New York, the first objective in New York is to make money. And that's, that's before everything. Different. LA is all about California. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my kind of place. Um, anyhow, the blazing forest fire metaphor is, is then depicting uh, a world that is out of control 
and we become caught up in a whole network, which is all a set up for suffering. While we are falling in love with this, with that, or with this one and that one, it, it, it will not last. It will not last. Even if one is with someone a whole life, still death is, is going to end it all. And so, and the statistics show that many relationships don't last until death us part. And uh, that's not the case. So, therefore, relationships break in this world. Relationships with things, with people, they end. And that's painful. Therefore, it is considered from the Vedic perspective, Vedic perspective always looks long term. Nothing is looked at from the immediate experiences that what is the end result of it all. Therefore, the material world is considered a place of suffering, a blazing forest fire. So, but because the dust is removed from the heart, because all these desires that were stored within us are diminished. Therefore, um, therefore, the blazing forest fire of our karmic interactions will also slow down. Um, life after life, we've stirred it up and stoked a serious karma fire. And now it's raging and, 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 and we can't do anything about it. Uh, I mean, you know, Whatever is happening in the news, right? I won't say what it is, but whatever is happening in the news is simply a, a symptom of that forest fire. It's the forest fire illustrated. Uh, you can can check it out on CNN, and it's the forest fire, and it's and that's the forest fire of our karma, our collective karma. So in this way, we're looking at it um, because our desires get diminished. Then also, the, the fuel of the forest fire is ending. Uh, and then gradually, it, it just diminishes. And then, but to really extinguish forest fires, we bring and So therefore, by our own power, we can certainly diminish our karmic uh, involvement. We can certainly diminish it, but we cannot put it out. It can only put out by rain. So it can only be put out by the, the rain that comes from above. Therefore, one can only become free from karmic entanglement by mercy of the Lord. On our own, we can decide whether we are on the low end of karma or on the high end of karma. Low end of karma means we're creating suffering, we're harvesting suffering. High end of karma, we're creating pious activity. But we may still get reactions from previous low end activity. Nothing we can do about it. So, but um, by invoking mercy, one can become freed from all this karmic entanglement, or free from all these desires 
and all the activities that are the result of all these desires, all these things we've chased after, and all the reactions that have been caused by this. And it's an endless, endless situation. When we become relieved from these things, then suddenly, um, suddenly we start to uh, we start to find that in our connection with the Supreme, we start to find satisfaction. That is the meaning of this first verse. So, the first step is, let us chant the mantra, let us purify the heart from all the karma that we have accumulated. Now we'll go to the next verse. Where is that? That is verse number 16. My Lord, O Supreme Personality of God, in your holy name has all good fortune for the humanity, and there be of many names, such as Krishna and Govinda, by which you expand yourself. Well, we can think about that. Here is Krishna, and he is supposed to be God, and he has all the attributes that one would expect God to have, which is He is supposed to be omnipotent. Huh? Um, so he is all-powerful. And uh, everything about him. Yeah. We have an existence where the spark of life is the cause of our being, the soul. Huh? So the soul is the cause of our existence. And that, as long as the soul is within the body, there's life, and the soul leaves, and the body is just dead man. So it's really, um, our existence is always, uh, we exist on different planes. We exist on the spiritual plane as the soul, and we simultaneously exist on the physical plane as the body. And, and uh, so there's this dual level of existence. But Krishna is purely spiritual. He has no material feature. Nothing about Krishna is, is material. His body is not material. Nothing about him is material. Even his name is not material. Therefore, it's that his name is invested with the same power that he has. Therefore, it is unlimitedly powerful. Yeah. And therefore, the name of Krishna has that power to actually liberate us from karma or liberate us from all material entanglement. And not only that, it also has the power to awaken higher spiritual sentiments. In some spiritual traditions, they focus on becoming on liberation, on becoming free from suffering. But that is only halfway. Uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, okay, great, you know, how are you? Oh, yeah, good, okay. Uh, I'm not suffering anymore. My toothache is gone. Oh, great, how are you? My toothache is gone. Oh, that's, that's good news. That's very good news. I'm very happy for you. Yeah, so 
So one week later, how are you now? My toothache is still gone. Okay, that's, that's really good. I'm very happy about it. One month later, your toothache is still gone. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, did anything, but did anything, did you have any fun or what? <laughs> or is your life only about that your toothache is gone? Uh, so therefore, liberation is only half. Okay, my suffering is gone. Great, you know, congratulations, very happy for you. You know, pain in the neck, pain in the back, pain here, pain there, it's all gone. Congratulations. Did you have any fun? <laughs> <laughs> so that's really what it's about, right? So therefore, um, when we speak about all the power in the Holy Name, there's not only all the power to uh, diminish the suffering, to eradicate all the suffering, but also to awaken the ultimate happiness. Otherwise, we'll be complete. Yeah, then it says, but then we take, so we read all this information and we say, okay, this is interesting. I think I'll give it a go. I'll try and chant that mantra. And after about 20 minutes, it's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, this is intense. I think, uh, I, I think that was enough for today. Uh, and then the next time, my mind might even go from, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know it's good, the chanting. I know it's very good. But, you know, it's just like many other things in yoga. It's hard to get yourself to do it. You know it's good. But to get yourself to do it, very difficult. Because there's not really a taste for it. Why is it that all the things that are bad for you are so tasty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you know, why? And all the things that are good for you, you know, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like you have to somehow or other go to a barrier. Just like yoga, you know, there are people, they swear. You know, they're every day on the yoga mat. Me, I have a yoga mat, and usually spider webs grow on my yoga mat. <laughs> then I think, no, this is not good. I should better my life, and then I take it out again. And again, for a few days, I'm on the yoga mat, and then again, I get busy and go, well, really no time for this, and actually. So I never go through the taste barrier when it comes to yoga. Uh, what to do. Uh, people have the same thing with chanting. There seems to be that initial taste barrier that we have to overcome before, uh, the, before we experience happiness in the chanting. So this is said. Um, everything can be attained through your holy names, but I am so unfortunate that I commit offenses while chanting the holy name, and therefore I do not achieve attachment to your holy name. So yeah, offenses come in. What does that mean? Um, offenses really mean, um, it's not a popular word, offenses. Um, when in spirituality you come with 
anything that reeks of rules, right? Uh, then it sort of begins to reek like religion. And there's a distinction between religion and spirituality because religion is very confining. It is confines behavior. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And you must do this and you must do that. Whereas spirituality is like, well, try to connect, right? Try to connect and try to actually get the experience. For that, you may have to make some sacrifice before, but then after some time, you'll get the experience, and, and that's what it's about. Right? So it's very experience-oriented, whereas religion is very rule-oriented. So a word like offenses seems to belong more in the realm of religion than in the realm of spirituality. So it's not popular, because these days spirituality is more popular than religion. So what do we do about that? Well, let's try another word. Um, offense is, is such a word, but how about if you go against the, uh, the natural direction of nature? Right? Uh, that makes more sense. Right? That makes more sense to be in harmony. In other words, disharmonious behavior. Now that sounds a lot better than offense, right? Disharmonious, yes, yes, yes. Spirituality and harmony definitely go together. It's the same thing, just a different language, really. Maybe a different time. So sometimes we need to translate. But uh, we, if one approaches the mantra, and the spirit of them one has to chant in the spirit of the mantra. Um, so one has to know Krishna is the name of Krishna, and one has to know something about the nature of Krishna and the desire of Krishna. Well, one important point is that Krishna is the well-wisher of all living beings. So if he's the well-wisher of all living beings, then automatically uh, one who wants to approach Krishna get closer to him, get that spiritual experience, would also have to align himself. If one aligns himself uh, with this spirit of being the well-wisher of all living beings, then one can chant and get the experience that one is meant to get out of it. If one doesn't align himself, then the spirit doesn't come, then the experience doesn't come. I said the same thing, uh, what was here described as offense. Now I use the word like alignment, and suddenly it sounds very cool and very, uh, and makes complete sense. Alignment is needed. And yes, Krishna is a person, so he has, he has values and preferences, and, his, and he's the embodiment of compassion. So alignment with compassion is required if we want to be successful in our spiritual pursuits in chanting the mantra. Um, without it, it will not work. Um, okay, I'm going to jump ahead again to the next verse, which is 21. One who thinks himself lower than the grass, 
who's more tolerant than a tree and who does not expect personal honor but is always prepared to give all respects to others can very easily always chant the holy name of the Lord. So we have in the first verse seen the benefit of chanting, seen it, it can cleanse the heart, take away all our karmic reaction, actually bring us in connection with actual happiness. The second verse describes the power of the holy name. It also describes how we align ourselves. And now, in the in the third verse, we speak about uh, honesty. We speak about humility. So, I want to make that connection between honesty and humility. Um, we can begin in a very simple way. Uh, maybe I'm not God. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> At least, you know, maybe I'm not almighty. Maybe not. And maybe. Uh, otherwise, if you could adjust the temperature just a little bit up, slightly, not too much, but a little bit more, wouldn't you? Not inside, but outside. In the same <laughs> that would be really good. You know, so we just have summer. Why not go straight to summer? I wouldn't mind. Summer is my favorite time. <laughs> and other seasons are okay, but summer, summer is what it's about. Um, that's when life begins. So, oh dear almighty, could you come your range? Uh, but I guess... But I guess we are not almighty. I guess we can begin there. I guess we are not perfect. Well, if we can come to the point of honesty where we say, I guess I'm not perfect, then we could do the exercise and write down a few of our imperfections. And three days later, you know, running out of paper, <laughs> so the list is getting quite long, Actually, now that we're getting into the self-reflective mood, we find more and more imperfections in ourselves. And that's okay. It's not a disqualification. It's just simply honesty. Therefore, honesty and humility come together. Um, humility is, is simply being realistic. When we see ourselves, as small and insignificant. It's just about realism. When we think I'm great, uh, uh, you know, then, yeah, then we um, are beginning to identify more and more with external things. Um, I have a PhD. <laughs> I mean, immediately, I feel a little better. And, uh, you know, I have a billion. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, yeah. um, immediately, um, identity change. I'm the president. And immediately, one's judgment becomes affected. Uh, so all these things, uh, humility is required to see ourselves in a very sober light. And so it's just, just a matter of honesty, really, if you think about it. I mean, we're not so powerful. 
we uh, we're controllers, but little controllers. Yeah? Everyone is a controller, but we're all little controllers, yeah? not so big, and it gets out of control all the time. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. I've got, you know, I once did a program, and uh, I asked, "Is there anyone here?" who thinks he's got it all under control. One person raised his hand and he had a band-aid on his finger. It's <laughs> 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 <Is> very interesting. <laughs> 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 yeah. It was just uh, interesting how, how these things go. So anyway, there we begin our exercise in humility. Um, um, and naturally, humility also leads to more tolerance. Um, when we think when we think we're very important, it becomes more difficult to to cultivate tolerance. Um, and then um, when there's no tolerance, then we wind up constantly making adjustments. Then everything needs to be adjusted. Um, this needs to be adjusted constant. Then our whole life will be preoccupied in making endless adjustments to the external circumstances. And that is not recommended if we want to cultivate spirituality and elevate ourselves spiritually. Then you say, well, you know, meet the material needs, and, but Keep it within a certain within a certain limit. Don't allow your material needs to take all your energy or all your time. If all your energy and all your time it goes to its fulfilling material needs, then uh, then we then the material energy is on top of us. The idea is that. A smaller percentage of our time is given for uh, making all the material arrangements. So it requires some intelligence, and it also requires maybe simplifying our needs. Uh, how much do we need? Uh, for example, here we're in New York, da, da, da. do we really need a car? Uh, do we really need one? I mean, having a car in this city is not a simple thing, right? You got to park the thing, <laughs> you know, it's like, cost a lot to just maintain a car. You're not even driving. Is it even worth it, you know, in this city? I mean, it might be cheaper to drive around in an Uber or whatever, you know, uh, or the train, uh, if you can hack it. <laughs> so, have to be a little more tolerant when you deal with the train, I can appreciate it. But then again, tolerance anyway cannot be escaped. Everyone has to tolerate traffic or whatever. And so the material world, even when, when we are ultra rich, still have to tolerate. Still. We may be rich, but we don't owe everything. It's always someone else who owns something that we don't own, and that's disturbing. Um, 
There's a story about envy. It's an envious story. Shall I tell it to you? Yeah. You want to hear it. Yeah. But it is definitely an envious story. <laughs> so you can don't blame me now, you wanted it. <laughs> All right. It's a story about a man who found a spirit in a bottle. Just like, you know, Aladdin, you know, something like that. And oh, he opened up the bottle. And this, the spirit said, the spirit said, yes, master. Uh, what would you desire? Mm -hmm. He tested it out, asked for some money, and there it was, and some other things. And then he said, yes. Then the genie said, or the spirit said, master, you can have whatever you desire but your neighbor will get double. <laughs> so, you know, he said, that's all right. He can have, and he can have. Then he wanted a multi-story palace, and then his neighbor had like a double palace. And you know, at certain times of the day, it was blocking the sun. <laughs> this thing really get, started to irk him, and eventually, everything he got, his neighbor got double. Then, you know, then he got very depressed and miserable, and he thought for a long time. And then he called that spirit. He said, I want that you take one of my eyes. <laughs> Anyway, so I told you it was envious. <laughs> so what to do? Um, so one has to let go of this desire to control, this desire to control the whole world and, and be much much more dependent. Uh, just depend on Krishna. The, the approach is totally different. The approach is basically please Krishna and let Krishna make the arrangements for protection. Uh, so then, you know, then should we wear a gas mask or should we just chant Hare Krishna? What? Or should we do both? Put the gas mask inside the mask. <laughs> what should we do? Yeah, that is the question. Yes. Um, I myself have found myself at one point in my life in Iran against a wall with, in front of the firing squad for four hours. I stood there, not me alone, 20 people. Some were Hare Krishna and some were not. Now, it was interesting because I, I do believe in the chanting of the mantra, and at a time like that, I believe it even more. <laughs> My faith was much stronger. So I was there chanting like anything, not too loud, because I didn't want to sort of wake up some 
negative sentiments. The guys are sort of But somehow or other, we were standing in a line, sort of. And somehow or other, while this all was going on, you can look at me. <laughs> I was very slowly going behind my neighbor, sneaky as I am. <laughs> sneaky as I am. I was slowly going behind my neighbor. Now, of course, that's a ridiculous thing to do because machine gun bullets, they go through people. I know that. I know that. But still, I thought better to him first. <laughs> Brother, you know, I, and then I was thinking, well, okay, so I had this plan, and this plan was, I sort of go more than half behind him, and then when I see that the soldiers are like about flex their muscles, about to shoot, then I drop sideways, and then sort of fall behind the people, and then if I'm still alive, then, you know, then plan B, you know what I mean? <laughs> It was a ridiculous plan. <laughs> I mean, it didn't make sense at all. I know that. But I needed it. I needed a plan, even if it was ridiculous. I couldn't just stand there and just leave it up to Krishna. That was just too much. Chanting, Krishna will protect me. Says, yeah, he, he sure will. But <laughs> I better make some arrangements for myself as well. Um, so, you yeah. know, so humility and tolerance bring about this, this sense of, of dependence, of taking shelter in Krishna. Uh, and by seeing, the more I give my life to him, the more I, I, can, I can rest assured. Because he says, my devotee will never perish. Of course, we saw in South Africa one devotee Murdered. The chopper beat still in the hand. Murder. It's uh, everyone was shocked. How can this happen? I thought. I thought things like that wouldn't happen to a devotee. I thought Krishna would protect the devotees, but no. Krishna didn't. Here, that devotee, while chanting, what now? Well, after some discussion, finally, we, we came to the conclusion that it's not, as far as protecting the body, Krishna may or may not protect. You know, at one point, all bodies will die. That's just this one. So the body may or may not be protected, but the soul is always protected. So the destiny is always there. That phase we that is there. So this sense of relying on Krishna, no matter what, my destiny is assured. Therefore, no anxiety. Humility and tolerance will only work when we're free from anxiety about what's going to happen to me. Yeah. I mean, no paranoia. Yeah. It's like the world's full of paranoia and anything, right? And it's like, 
you know, here we are in a in a place of, of achievers, right? New York, a place of achievers. So it's a place of people who get things done and do things. So uh, those are the kind of people that are alert, alert to opportunities, alert to, to everything, super alert. Well, one step up from alert is paranoia. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So the, the, the totally opposite dynamics I'm speaking about, the dynamics of, of just making sacrifice for Krishna and chanting his name and then simply uh, trusting in him and his protection, somehow or other it will be okay. Yeah. That is a totally different approach. But that is the approach we see in the great saintly personalities. And they have that full approach. Uh, even cross-traditional, look at St. Francis of Assisi, he's hugging the lepers. I mean, I mean, are you going to hug some lepers? <laughs> not me. I'm still not on the St. Francis level. I ain't going to hug no lepers. Sorry. I have seen, I have spent years in Calcutta. Well, that was an experience, Calcutta. Calcutta is, is 15 million people. It's a, it's a huge metropole, but it's like uh, intense. And then the, rep, then the lepers come on the street in, in little wooden push carts, and they have a little red hat on and a, and a rattle, you know, so that people can keep a distance. Um, Turned across the street. <laughs> Just like to do all these things are that's where philosophy gets real. Uh, on the wall or in the street. That's where philosophy gets real. And then we see that we haven't realized it and that all that philosophy is nice. It's like your uh, theoretical driver's exam, you know? You got the traffic rules in mind, and it helps, but you're on the road. And it's a different mobile game now. You do real-life traffic in New York or in Calcutta. It's exciting driving in both cities. <laughs> so, um, Somehow or other, my lecture didn't turn out so sweet. <laughs> Sometimes the lectures are very sweet. Uh, this one was sort of a little sobering, maybe. Yeah. But I hope that that's okay. I also feel that maybe it's a time for some soberness, you know, uh, so much uh, turbulence. Right? And, and then uh, that sort of brings it out of me, you know, the, the sober side. Um, there are more verses in the success to come, eight verses, but one should not try to cover them in one lecture because then you get information overload. Uh, so I'm going to stop at these first three. I'm going to summarize them one more time uh, in a nutshell, and then I'm going to turn it over to you for some, uh, some interactive uh, response. Um, so the first verse, 
gave us the image of the consciousness as a mirror meant to reflect something and, and ultimately meant to reflect the best, which is Krishna. It then gave us the image of our individual karma and our collective karma. And we see how all that is out of control, like a blazing forest fire. And it gave us a handle on that, on the reign of mercy that comes from, from Krishna and that is now available to chanting the holy name. Once we are, are there, then that reign of the chanting will diminish the karma and gradually uh, we rise above it all. Um, and, and as we're rising above, more and more happiness will come about. Then we came to the power of the holy name, the name being known different from Krishna the mantra. Krishna is the mantra. And so Krishna is unlimited. So all good can come. Krishna is all good. Therefore, all good will come from the mantra. Um, and in this way, uh, but we saw that because that if we don't align ourselves, that we would not be able to um, to penetrate and get the real experience. If we want the spiritual experience of the mantra, we also have to align ourselves with the mood of Krishna. And then in the third verse, we dealt with humility, tolerance. I linked it with honesty. I linked it with non-envy. And I, uh, it's that such humility is required if we really want to come to the point where we can chant. Otherwise, you get stuck in this thing of, I have no taste for this. But if you want to come to the stage of having taste for this, then we must take that very humble position. So I'm approaching these verses from the, from, from the perspective of spirituality, from the spiritual experience, and sort of try to analyze how we can actually get the spiritual experience. Okay. Um, so if any of you would like to contribute something, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Okay, I don't see who it is, but someone. Oh, next to the ah. Marge, will you please tell us what happened with the firing squad? <laughs> <laughs> I died and I reincarnated. <laughs> 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 yeah. More detail if I smell it. It's a long story. One day I could I could tell you the story of my life. If the Bhakti Center would want to hear it, I could tell you, just do a lecture, the story of my life. I tell you, it's, 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 it's
it's a crazy life. I come from this town just outside of Amsterdam, commuters town, you know, something like Jersey, you know, and uh, and it's sort of like uh, a lowest crime rate, right? nothing ever happened there, everyone was polite, everyone was just, you know, everything was just like it was supposed to be, and there was only one thing wrong, it was totally boring. <laughs> And then starts the story. <laughs> so, hi, Mr. So, my question is that very often we see that in many cases it's not such a linear progression where one chants chant Hare Krishna and the mind, the consciousness becomes clear. Very often, at least you know, from my own experience, I see that we chant and then again the consciousness becomes polluted or becomes covered over. And we chant. And then again, so this interaction is happening. So what exactly happens to the effects of the chanting? Does it become covered or does it, does it battle with the contaminations that cover you again? Or does it sort of, uh, you know, eventually sort of rise up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, whenever we go into, into metaphors, right? Metaphors, they always apply up to a certain level and then um, language in general is something um, which corresponds with reality. So it's difficult to express reality in language. And Wittgenstein makes that point. And, and that is very true. Um, so whenever we use a metaphor, we use a particular image to illustrate some dynamics, but it's You've just pointed out the short, the limitations of the metaphor. So now you force me to use another metaphor. So the other metaphor is, if there is a thing called ghee, right? Ghee is clarified butter. The uh, clarified butter then, it will not spoil, even outside the fridge, right? It will not spoil. Uh, one has taken out the impurities of the butter. And the process is, you take butter, put it in a big pot on fire, and just bring it to a boil. And then foam begins to, after some time, come to the top, scoop off the foam and throw it in a bucket or whatever. And then it's clear. Then after some time, more foam, scoop it off. And this process continues. One keeps on scooping off the foam, and, and each time new foam comes to the surface again, until it comes to the point where no more foam comes to the surface. So this is the process, how it works. It is, uh, we undergo some purification, we feel some inspiration, we feel a liberation from some of our previous entanglement. It gives us an energy to chant and then we run out of steam again and it was not just fully still nourished by spiritual inspiration and again the material impurities begin to wear us down. 
And then again, we make adjustments there, external adjustments. We make a, a commitment to devotionals, to, to, to a process of bhakti yoga, where we are following a regulated process of bhakti yoga. Then through the process of bhakti yoga, gradually some spontaneous, some spontaneity begins to develop. Not for everything, but we begin to like some things in service. You know, some things we really start liking. Not everything, but gradually in the beginning, we like the service. Then we do more service. And then after some time, we begin to like Krishna. And that doesn't matter anymore what service we do. Then any service is okay. Because, as I said, it shifted from liking certain services that we do to starting to like Krishna. So once we start to like Krishna, then we come to a point of nista, of deep determination. Then this up and down is we're overcoming it. But otherwise, we'll sway back and forth. Bok and Tyak is called. When we are in the, on the material side, we are spiritual life. When we're on the spiritual side, we want material life. And while we had it, we just didn't want it at all. Then we give it up and do spiritual life. And suddenly we want all these things again. That's in the initial stages. And in that stage, we start to like services. I like this service, I like that service. That's how we grow. But when we start to like Krishna, that's when it doesn't matter anymore what service we do. Then we come to this. That's the training point. But I just want to get some more insight from you. I just want to get some more insight from you. You mentioned about how we depend on Krishna, but also we have to make some effort as probably we like to hear more from your warrior story as Matthew mentioned the fighting squad. Yes, it's inevitable the bullet will come, but then you are trying to prepare yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And we have seen that in spiritual life also, uh, when we have, you know, when our life is simpler, when we don't have any responsibilities, it's easier to say, I depend on Krishna. Yeah. Uh, you have a house, and your wife, and kids, and you suddenly start planning. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I know how, how do we balance, Maharaj? One sense. <laughs> uh, we can balance in different ways. You know, uh, <clears throat> there are different ashrams. Right? And uh, one can be a brahmachari. In our, in our practice, we take shelter of an, of an ashram. You know, either a brahmachari, a monk, or, or a householder, or someone who practices Vinashesh, or even a sannyasi. <coughs> well, <coughs> as you rightly said, in each of these positions, is different. When you have a family and so on, and then you have so many responsibilities. Me, I don't have a family, I don't have a house, don't have a car, I don't have a job, and yeah, I, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> my, my question was more to the point, is that we just depend on Krishna versus we have I just depend on Krishna. So how All I do is glorify Krishna. I spend my whole life just talking about Krishna, singing for Krishna, talking about Krishna, and I'm still alive. 
I didn't die yet. And yeah. Um, Gotta watch your guy, so. And I'm doing that. I was looking more for how do we balance Maharaj? One point is to say, I just depend on Krishna, Krishna will take care of the other. I know what you're looking for, but you didn't get my answer. My answer is that as you position yourself, according to how you position yourself, you will be requiring to make more arrangements to balance yourself, or less arrangements to balance yourself. You see? So you've chosen to be in a situation where you need a lot of balancing. Because you have to think about the welfare of the kids and you know everything, the whole family. So one can make life simpler, then there's less balancing required. That's, that's the Vedic principle. Some balancing is always needed. Uh, unless we see great Paramahansas totally absorbing the other side, they didn't balance anything. They just didn't do it. I'm not at that level. I balance. I look left, I look right before I cross the street. <laughs> and things like that. Nowadays, I wash my hands more than I used to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watch out elbows and feet opening, closing doors. Yeah, I do balance. But still, we can, if we simplify our life, there's less to balance. Please. He asked something, and I would like to add. Yeah. So you have to work, enterprise, effort is needed, but then ultimately after doing everything, you give it to God or Krishna. Well, that's one meaning of the verse. There are many meanings of the verse. I mean, it depends on your, yes, um, whatever, whatever work we do, um, whatever activity we do, yeah. we offer the results to Krishna. Yeah. And now one can do that in two ways. One can do that directly or indirectly. Directly means Pujari on the altars is worshipping Krishna and that's direct. Or we build a house where we live, but so that we can have a good situation from where we can uh, also serve Krishna. So there comes a, a tension. Yeah, say like all the fruits are meant to be for Krishna. I saw <coughs> a really good four-wheel drive with a number plate for you, Krishna. And I said, sure. <laughs> I should have a question about uh, the latest uh, scare and terror that the whole world is worried about. Scare and terror. Uh, of course, we can watch our hands more and Prabhupada said that in um, 
1897, uh, one year after his birth, there was a black plague uh, epidemic in India, reached Bombay, Pune, and then Calcutta, where he was born. So, Prabhupada is extraordinary, so he's, he has memories of early, early childhood, so he still remembered it. And yeah, I don't know, he's being one year old, but he has. He remembered it, and, and he said that the solution, um, the solution was they started Kirtan, and they had Kirtan in the streets. He said, and then the epidemic subsided. So that was Prabhupada's answer to it. That's what he said. Now, uh, yeah, that may not be practical for everyone. I, I am with you also on that. But I do think that we should keep our, our at this time, I think we should keep our spiritual, our spirituality in the forefront and not in the background. We should keep it in the forefront. Exactly how that depends on each individual. I'm going to channel the streets tomorrow. <laughs> That's my plan. So I think we've come to an end. I hope it was interesting. Um, I've tried to sort of uh, play a little bit with some of the elements related to this verse. Um, but we can see um, the, the tension between dependence on the, on, the, on, the, on the protection from above and the protection that we need to make and the arrangements that we need to make for ourselves. I mean, to give black and white, leave it up to you to fill it in for yourself. But if we ignore the spiritual side of things and start to too much rely on material things, then we lose. So definitely, if there's scales and if there's balance, the weight should be on the spiritual side in the balance. That's for sure. The weight should always be heavier on the spiritual side. Then the balance is doing well. So let us try to balance things by putting more spiritual weight into the situation. Thank you very much. Thank you.